Welcome to Relationship, where real-life couple Justin and Candace share their keeping it real perspective on the ins and outs of their personal and professional experiences, navigating the ups and downs of partnerships in life and business. They will also offer practical advice for maintaining strong, healthy, fun, and successful relationships in life and business. If you're ready for comedic and insightful exploration of life, love, law, business, and everything else in between, you're in the right place. Buckle up, it's going to be a wild ride. Here are your hosts, Justin and Candace. I am so excited for our episode of Relationship, and there's no better way to start this podcast and this journey with none other than our nearest and dearest friends, Sonesh Chainani and Thomas Beekman. Um, Hi. We're Hello. not as sophisticated as the Howard Stern show with all of the different noisemakers and whatnot. Um, but the purpose of relationship is to really explore um, all different types of relationships, partnerships in business and in life, and exploring everybody's takeaways and what's important to them and, and their lessons learned in life and in love and in business, if they're in business together. Um, but it's just a, a great exploration of life, and we really want to delve in deeply into people's real, raw, you know, get down to the nitty-gritty of everybody's experiences in life. Let's and go life. down and dirty. Let's go down and dirty. Um, so without further ado, let's first introduce Sanesh and Tom, our guests on our first podcast. Sanesh, if you can lead us in telling the audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and what it is that you do. Okay. Uh, I'm actually a native Miamian. I am uh, 45. Uh, I, you know, I originally wanted to go into publishing, but ended up in law school and becoming an attorney. I worked at a corporate law firm in New York for a couple of years. Um, and then I actually came back to, be, to kind of help take care of my parents and grandparents. And I joined about 14 years ago a uh, business with my father. We buy and sell land and homes across the country. And so I'm an in-house vice president and council. I, I work with my family. So it's a lot of family because I uh, have my parents nearby. I work with them and I'm also a parent. I have two kids. Um, I have primary custody of them. So they spend the school year with me. Um, so I have a lot on my plate. I have parents, I have kids, uh, I work a full-time job, and yeah, that's that's sort of the basics about me. Well, we're going to circle back and talk a little bit sure. more about you in a little bit, but now I want to kind of turn the microphone over to Tom, um, your partner in love and life. So Tom, give us a little bit about your background. Tom's background started in Belgium about 40 years ago. Is there a reason why we're talking in third person? <laughs> <laughs> Your name is Tom, so I like my background. So is, uh, <laughs> my background is that I uh, was born and raised in Belgium and moved to the U.S. almost 10 years ago. Um, I worked for a cruise line. I've been in the cruise line industry for the past 16 years. Used to work on ships first, um, and then I had a wonderful opportunity to come to Miami, where the headquarters of my company were. Um, they sponsored my, um, my residency, and that's how I ended up here. And it's really interesting, and I'm, I'm glad that we're our first podcast, um, we're interviewing not only as our nearest and dearest, but based on both of your backgrounds and what it is that you do, 
I think it's it's a really great time to explore and kind of delve a little bit deeper because ever since the pandemic, the cruise industry is a major issue. And now that we're going into a major recession, we're in the recession, a lot of people wanna also know about real estate. So before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of what you know the purpose of this podcast is for, I want the public to first kind of get the 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 two cents on what's really important or the or the great takeaways of both of your industries in this very pivotal time of our lives, which is everybody wants to know. Oh my God, for the people that want to invest in real estate, how's the real estate um, industry in this present time, and also. What is the cruise industry like? Has it bounced back? Is it still the same? What are the issues that you guys are dealing with in the cruise industry? So let's first start with Sonesh and my silent partner, Justin, who's just sitting next to me. I'm like Fred Norris here. Like, I, I literally, I may make a sound at some point. I, I will relinquish this microphone at some point. Listen, many businesses have silent partners. And that, that's also fine. <laughs> Uh, so on, on the real estate front, I'll you know I'll say I will tell you. <laughs> I'll say uh, it's a truism, but I think you know you guys know what goes up has to come down, right? So we've had a period of unparalleled growth uh, the last couple of years, and everything is going up and up. We now live in probably the hottest real estate market in the country. You, you know, I mean, I think I read some article that said, including you know, adjusted for income, Miami is now the most expensive real estate market in the country. Didn't they also say I saw an article today, as a matter of fact, that the rental market is the tightest market yes. in the entire country, Miami. At this yes, point. there are people competing over rental homes at this point. That's correct, and I'm and I'm lucky that my bread and butter is I am not a, even though I live in Miami because of my family and all that stuff. I am not a Miami-based real estate. We buy and sell land in many states, primarily Texas, Georgia, Tennessee, the South. So it's a very different market than Miami. So I feel in a way protected from some of the, the bubble, the, the vicissitudes of luxury up and down. I, I'm in a much more, much less glamorous and more stable real estate market. But even in our market, we've seen with the change in interest rates and with a couple of years of, of up and up and up and basically free money being lent, now it's a little bit time to, to pay the piper. So for people in the real estate industry, people who are buying and selling, selling's gonna slow down and things like that. But as I've mentioned to both of you, I think for people looking to invest in real estate, now is actually a good time. You know, the time when things are softening and when you're starting to see deals and things not being snapped up right away, this is actually a good time for people who strictly on an investment basis and are not gonna rely on that income in the short term. I think that there are some, some actually some pretty good deals and this is a better time to get into real estate than say a year and a half ago, right? I mean, that's not what you wanted to invest in a portfolio. But I would say now and even over the next few months, and I, you know, I still think we're going to come down more, and there'll be more opportunities in the future. But it's an exciting time. I mean, I'm lucky in that we have, you know, we've been in business for years. We have an established portfolio. Um, you know, I, I feel that we are conservative enough that you know we'll we'll be okay throughout this. But you know, it is a tough time for, for people who, you know, maybe a little more risky in, in how they got, they play the market. Yeah, so Tom. Tell us about the cruise, cruise industry. industry. The cruise industry, um, 
has been really interesting in the past few years. Um, right before the pandemic, actually in Q1 of 2020, our industry was reporting its strongest financial results in the entire history of, of most of these companies. And that obviously all ended in just almost a week time in, in March of 2020. Well, if you think about it, I think at the time that the pandemic was coming out, I, I was realizing that a lot of the cruise companies, cruise ship companies, there were tons of super ships coming out. Yes. I mean, all these brand new ships with water parks and like, almost like amusement parks on water. And then all of a sudden you come to a screeching halt with all these new ships. So, I mean, that must have been something. But, and they're still being built. You, you, you also can't just stop a half-finished ship, right? Like no, still- so we had our, our ships in operation, which at the time were over 60 ships in, in the entire fleet. Um, we also had committed to building, I think, about close to 30 new ships over the time of uh, time span of 15 years uh, with different shipyards. So multi-billion dollar investments were being made. Um, we were investing in private islands around the Caribbean islands. We were investing in existing fleets, overhauling them, innovating um, new systems, you name it. We were, we were literally at the top of our game. And But again, we, we reported the strongest quarterly figures in Q1 of 2020, and in less than a week, that all stopped. Um, we went from having 60 ships in operation to parking all 60 of them in a week time, initially for just one month. We were told, and then two weeks later, that we were told it was going to be extended for another month, and so on and so forth. And the next thing you know, our ships didn't sail for close to two years. Um, and when you're parking these ships, where are you parking? All over the world. Um, we look for really good partners in different ports because you can't just park a ship like a car. You have to keep it in operation. You have to always remember there's a lot of systems functioning on board. There's some rooms, furniture, electronics, engines, um, you name it. it. It all has to be kept alive. So we have to keep crew on board. Um, how, how, how much crew, let's say, do you need to man a park? like super ship? Well, on, on a normal day in full operation on, on the big ship, we have up to close to 4,000 crew members. Um, wow. When we stopped operating and parked these ships in the beginning for the first three to four months, we kept almost all crew on board. Wow. Um, they were continuing to be paid. We were looking after them. We were feeding them. We were quarantining them. Nobody knew what was happening. Airlines were flying. We couldn't fly them home to their home country. There was a certain point where you couldn't even park it anywhere. Nobody wanted the cruise ships anywhere. Cruise ships were not welcome anywhere. Nobody wanted them. Nobody knew what to do with them. So we had a lot of our fleet parked around our private islands in the Caribbean. They were just afloat at anchor. They would come into Miami every two weeks to pick up provisions, food for the crew on board, fuel, technical resources, whatnot. And then finally, after about two to three months, we were able to start getting crew members off the ship to fly home to their home country. We were chartering planes because airlines weren't operating as normal. Um, we had to quarantine them in hotels for two weeks before they were allowed to fly to their home country and charter a flight with three, 400 seats on, fly them home to whichever country we had. It could be South Africa, India, Sri Lanka. So, we so were, this is, it's funny that when you're saying that, when you think about, when you think about the cruise ships, I, I had not thought about them before, but it's high profit and high revenue, but it's high expense and a lot of manpower, right? It's, it's one of these things that like, the ball is rolling, but if it stops, it's not like a, a rest, you know, you can't just kind of close the shop and flip a sign. Your expenses are still like, 
you still have these multi-billion dollar things that I was you about need. to ask that because it must be super expensive because you, these just, companies are now not, not getting revenue that spending. We were not yeah. getting revenue. We were operating the ships, and then also in addition to everything else, we just I mean, and there are so many aspects that come into play. But one of the things we do is for every cruise, we order food and and provisions for every sailing because we know more or less with the guest count that we're foreseeing, which is usually a hundred to hundred and five percent capacity. Ships are always full. Um, we know exactly how much food we need, how much paper we need, how much of everything we need, including fuel, and all that is ordered ahead of time. So all these containers they ship out eight weeks in advance with with most of the provisions, and you can't cancel these orders. So all the provisions were going everywhere, and our ships were nowhere to pick them up. So that was a whole other ordeal that we had to stop the supply chain at the time, um, which was a really um, painful thing to do because this food ended up being donated, thankfully, to communities around the world. But that took us a long time to figure that out and to find companies who could ship that around the world for us. That's important though. I'm, I'm glad that you guys were able to figure it out because that, that would have been a logistical nightmare. 100%, 100%. What, but what is the cruise industry like now? now? Today, it's um, operating in a better environment, and it also depends on where in the world you are. I think um, the U.S. and the Caribbean have kind of relaxed all the COVID restrictions that there were uh, or that were in place. It's pretty easy here. It's business as usual almost. Um, Europe is getting there. Asia, Middle East, and Australia, New Zealand is still very challenging. There's still a lot of COVID restrictions. People still have to test before traveling. They need vaccination certificates before traveling. Um, there's still ports that require you to have zero COVID cases on board. So sometimes when you have one case of, or suspected case on board, because that's one thing the cruise line industry really does and always has done, because we have a lot of experience with with. Um, public health and local authorities in all of these ports. We really do go above and beyond with, with our reporting. So we over-report sometimes and we let them know that we maybe have a person on board with COVID symptoms who we then quarantine in a special stateroom that's isolated and, and away from everybody else. And then the port may just tell you that they don't want your entire ship just because of one, just because of one suspected. And, and meanwhile, we're all flying right. <laughs> yeah. everywhere yeah. with no restrictions. Even yeah. during the pandemic, we had we, we're from Miami. We we know what was going on. Where COVID doesn't exist. COVID clearly, <laughs> you know, was was absent in certain parts of Florida, and, and Miami and Miami Beach was one of them. Hotels in Miami Beach were open. People were partying in the street, and cruise ships were floating off the coast of Florida because they were not allowed to come in because people thought they were carrying a disease and it was really it wasn't very smart i also think our collaboration efforts with certain government uh, entities like cdc um it took a while for us to make progress with them but now that we have them on board that's changed a lot and they really do understand our protocols are probably more safe and sound than most of of the other um entities like hotels or, or airlines for example who are never held or kept to the same standards as us they do understand that our, our protocols are very rigorous, and, and so that's changed a lot. But in the beginning, that was very hard, and it took almost two years to, to establish that. But it's nice to know that we're rebounding. We're rebounding. Ships are getting fuller. Um, people want to travel. They always wanted to, and I think we're, we're making that comeback. Um, I saw tons of Facebook pictures of people on, like, Royal Caribbean cruises, and every single cruise. I mean, mm -hmm. I saw lines. 
I saw, like, when I was at the airport, I saw a, a huge line when I landed, and my luggage was missing, of course. Uh, it was actually funny. Candace's luggage spent three days at Terminal B in Dallas-Fort Worth after our connection. Although, although Blake and my luggage seemed to get on the plane after the connection. Did, did they tell you that, or did you did you have, like, the tag? Luggage like, tag. But I will tell you, the lines in the baggage claim for the Carnival cruise ships, Disney cruise ships, all the cruise ships, were, it was pandemonium. I saw the coach buses that were outside, so it's good to see everybody's getting back to normal and everybody's, you know, traveling again. I think that's a great thing, you know, for everybody. People are traveling. I think the one thing that people need to keep in mind is there are still a lot of changes. We were a very well-established uh, industry that had, the way our itineraries work, we usually sell cruises about three to four years in advance. We tell you exactly where we're going, what time we're arriving and leaving. And we've just, because of the pandemic, had so many changes. And now sometimes even a week before the sailing, we have to make changes to the itinerary because of COVID issues. Um, but I think our guests have now kind of gotten used to that. They expect it almost. Yes. So they do know that that's part of the game plan and, and they're open for it. In the beginning, that was challenging. People would tell us, well, I, the only reason I wanted to go on this cruise was to go to that one place that you're now replacing with a day at sea or another port, whereas now they come and they're like, we're just happy to be here um, and we'll, we'll take it as it comes. But, but, but also, I think people have gotten used to that in all aspects because what's the alternative? Flying is not reliable either. I mean, right. yeah, you know, it's not that, it's not that, well, I'm going to go, I mean, your hotel could cancel, there, you know, your flight could cancel, there could be a strike. I mean, right, and, and I feel also, compared to other industries, I feel like I'm hijacking this now with no, other industries, no, but no, it's no, it's other, other industries like hotels, airlines have told us time and time again, we don't have the staff, there's supply chain issues, um, we don't have resources, people don't want to work anymore, we keep hearing that. But um, I feel like for us, that has actually not been the case. We have a very loyal um, population of crew members who wanted to work on these ships, who were without a job for you know two years almost. And these people were, they were dying to come back and, and they are back and we have not been short of staff. The issue we're having is to get the people onto the ship. They need certain visas for all these countries we're going to and embassies have not caught up yet since COVID. They're understaffed. They cannot issue the visas that we need. So now we have crew members sitting at home waiting to go to a ship with a, a passport that needs a visa. And the embassy tells you come back in seven or eight months because we can't issue you a visa. You that? So that's what we're dealing with. He's still, Tom, Tom's TSA expired, and he didn't know this, his TSA pre-check, and he tried to renew it, and he's on backlog. It's been months. He doesn't know. It was he's... actually an article in um, the Miami Herald today, or the New World Street Journal. It was, um, you know, a big disparity of newspapers right there. But regardless, there was a thing that global entry is going on like eight to nine months for a thing, and they're take, uh, to get approved, and they're talking about how... Uh, they're trying to encourage people to apply for TSA because you could get it done in like six to eight weeks. So you're, you're, maybe, maybe you're you on like two or I'm on about six to eight weeks now. You're, so yeah, so you should be getting approved soon. I think I, I'm going to, I'll speak to the TSA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll put in a really good word for, for you. you. We don't know who. Or so this podcast right. I was not aware of. Definitely Commissioner Jones. I will yeah. tell you something though, that as a, as a microcosm of, you know, of just like in your cruise industry, it's nice to know though that the the takeaway from all of this is that 
everyone is more adaptable. Yes. As on both sides. On, Not on just the corporation, sides. but also the, the consumer right. is really ready for the changes that are being presented to them. Are you fighting me for the microphone? Yes, no, I'm going to transition us now. Oh, okay. Are you going to take my yeah. mic? Okay. So uh, while we're, we're discussing all this, we have a, a couple next to us, Session Tom, where one is more of a family office and one is more of a corporate office. How does the dynamic work in a relationship in dealing with sometimes the corporate problems versus the family problems in your office? Because okay. I think that'd be interesting to talk about. But let's like give like the full like background. That was so, a good question. It was a good question. Good question. I was it, it's a very good question. But Justin, <laughs> Justin, hold on. It's a great question. Are you trying to? But let's. <laughs> <laughs> you're reading that incorrectly. You're, you're allowed you are, to. It is, it is a podcast about relationships. <laughs> you are totally reading that touching, touching is important. I that's really it. felt like that was but a great transition. That's transition. a really great topic, though, for like a non-sequitur for like a second. I feel like guys, when they want to pull the, don't read into it, honey. I just told you I wanted a glass of milk. Don't read into it, don't get upset with me, don't deviate, don't whatever. I can say the same thing. I just touched your leg. It didn't mean anything <laughs> other than I just touched your leg. That's what it doesn't meant. mean I want to bone you. It doesn't mean I want to have a toe curling moment. It just meant I'm touching your thigh. I don't want anything else from you other than I'm touching your thigh. But let me give this up. So Sonesh was in a traditional Man, woman, marriage had two beautiful twins, children out of this, and is a divorcee, and he's on a new path, a new relationship yeah. with Tom. And so I want to kind of delve in because this is really important, and this is obviously the point of relationship. Even though you guys are not partners in business, I really want to talk about and explore your everyday life and takeaways of your partnership in life. So if you can talk about that and share with the public, if there's, you know, any takeaways that you have on what it's like to have, to kind of transition from a Americanized traditional relationship to the relationship that you have now. All you seven listeners, get ready. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that was uh, interesting for me is I think I once heard someone say that if you're not going to be married, the best thing to be is widowed because you have people are like, oh my God, you poor thing, right? But as soon as there's a divorce, <laughs> everyone's like, oh no, what happened? Oh my God, he's divorced, he's single, she's divorced. That sounds sad, right? And I, after my divorce and you know, taking the brunt of childbearing and raising my kids, I assumed that I would be single for a long time or maybe for the rest of my life. Not because I didn't want to be with someone, but because my kids came first, always. 100%. And so whether it was a man or woman, whoever I met, that person would have to understand that my kids will, you know, if my kid's sick or my kids need something or I can't spend time or I can't be there or something comes up, you know, they would have to be okay with a single guy in his late 30s and two small kids, you know, and a family nearby. I, I just felt like who is going to want to or be able to put up or deal with this? And, you know, one of the things, I don't think I knew this about Tom right away, but as we got close and started talking, 
one of the things Tom had told me was that he had always wanted kids. You know, it was like a big, probably, uh, I don't know if I'm being too frank, but something that you always regretted was that you wish you had kids and Tom's old partner did not want them and they decided not to have kids. But he, he was someone who that same thing was very important to him and he understood that and he, he has really stepped up and I mean, he, you know, if something comes, I have to go on a sudden business trip, which happens, Tom has taken the kids to the airport by himself and walked them through security and made sure they get on the plane and track the plane's progress because he's an airline nerd and has all those apps. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and, and my kids are now at the point where I'll come, you know, sometimes the biggest time coming over tonight. And I'll be like, no, not tonight, tomorrow and yesterday and the rest of the weekend. I'm like, oh, you know, bummer. And I'm like, it's okay to also spend time with your dad alone, but, but that's a better problem to have. Right. 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 I, I never thought I'd be in a position where my, my family, my kids, my parents, everyone, likes my partner so much that he's so integrated and that that's not forced upon him. It's something that he himself, you know, wanted for him maybe in a different way. But, but I, I feel like we probably all had visions of ourselves. You know, I, I was married to a woman. Tom had another part. Like we were living in different countries and different places. And, and I think just having an open mind about how your life will turn out and being open and okay with that is, like to me, that's the best thing that's happened to me is is to not hold on to ideas of what I thought my life would be like when I was twelve or eighteen or even twenty five. I think that's an amazing lesson. I mean, and also, Tom, I'm sitting in um three J on the seven 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 three hundred American. <laughs> Quickly, this is an actual story. I was once flying, I forget where I was on the airplane. You were flying from Miami to New York. I was flying from Miami to New York on Delta Airlines. And I'm, I was in the economy comfort or something. It's a big plane. And I looked around. And I had to pee. And I just texted Tom. I go, this plane is so big. I don't know where the bathroom is. And he goes, what's your flight number and seat? And I was like, seven, two, three, eight, B. And he's like, three rows behind you to the left. And he was like, he knew where the bathrooms were on my plane. And you weren't wearing your What I find fascinating about your relationship is, what's well, not fascinating, but it's just, I... I see the two of you and how supportive you guys are together and how it seemed to somebody on the outside how seamless it was integrating two people together and Tom integrating with your family and your kids. Have And so it for me, it's such a warm and fuzzy feeling because we love and care about you guys so much and it's so great to see like a, an amazing integration of you know, two people that are in love and a traditional family that ended up turning in. But what, what what the fuck is really a traditional family in this day and age? But it's really nice. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. It's nice to see an integration of um, a family after a divorce to see how great it is. I'm always curious, though, and we actually talked about this, you know, before we started the podcast. You know, we're in 2023 now. New year. We're, you know... It, in an era which seems like as if anything and everything goes, there's no taboo subjects, there doesn't seem to be anything that, you know, hasn't been explored, but I want to go there and ask that question. Is there anything that you can share? Because really the point of relationship 
is not only getting an understanding of the nitty gritty um, and the trials and tribulations of people that are in partnerships and life and in business, but really the most important thing that I, the takeaway that I want from relationship is, you know, we're, we're, we've all lived our lives to whatever extent that we've lived it. The important thing that I want to give the audience is what are your life lessons? So what I want to know from you guys is each of you, what are your life lessons in business in your respective industries? And what are your personal life lessons? And then I also want to know from you, as a gay couple, are there any lessons or are there any trials and tribulations that we deal with in 2022, 2023, now that we're in the new year, that nobody's heard of? Or is everything really explored? Is there anything that you guys deal with as a gay couple that nobody really encounters or that you know we really want to bring out into the forefront to our audience um, and to d- discuss it. It's a lot of different questions, right? But, but, that's, um, but that's why I'm the host of this podcast. <laughs> you know, we're here to think. <laughs> yeah. So let's engage in some mental masturbation. I think that... Um, Oh, well, let me get some more wine. So hold on. Hold on. this. Hold on. Oh, you're in for it. Okay. So I think that some of the lessons learned, maybe, and I can only speak for myself, um, you know, coming out of another relationship at a time also, and different changes through life, you know, jobs change, pandemic happens. There's, there's a lot of things happening around you, but the one thing to continuously focus on is yourself and clearly the person you're into and I feel like for me personally patience has also <laughs> no but it, I you know I don't say this in, in a bad way but being patient with yourself what is that I'm, 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 <laughs> what, what I'm, is patience I'm high maintenance masquerading as low maintenance but yeah, <laughs> patience is definitely needed he's not as high maintenance as he claims to be but I think just being patient and, and so in our case I clearly knew I liked the person I was with even if we hadn't formulated the the relationship, and how long did it take was, to get there to that point? It took you a while. Realize it took a while. Yes. Years. So I think also, and that's also the, the beautiful part about it because I think we we became friends before anything else. And I think I, at least, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think I tried to make an effort to to kind of get to know you better and your kids, which I understand is, is I'm not saying he was, you know, he had built up a wall or, or the protective cover, but he, it, it was, I think I took initiative in, in getting to know the kids. I remember asking, like, I would like to meet the kids because you clearly care so much about them. Can I meet them? And and we took that very easily and, and slow and, and also think that really worked in, in our favor in the long run. I never felt like I, I, I needed to speed this up or I don't know I, I feel like it came naturally and, and that feels really good and natural is really the word for it because these things did not happen as we talked about it, it just happened and then we have to talk about it afterwards does right. that make sense yeah and and I, I will say also I, I agree 100% with your assessment and I, I never felt it's funny you asked about obstacles you know my kids my parents my friends, you know, telling friends of mine who've known me for 20 years and known ex-girlfriends or ex-wives, I have not encountered... The biggest obstacle was myself. It was not other people. It was my own resistance to the idea I had of myself 
or what I would tell people or how I, you know, it was my own, I don't want to say cowardice, but it was my own worry. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I, oh, I'm worried someone, this person will not accept and you spend six months worrying about it. And then you tell them and they say, oh, I love you. That's so great. I'm so happy for you. Right? Like mm-hmm. I have, I, I, I and you're like, like, wait, no pushback. I'm like, why right? didn't, why didn't it take me six months to worry? Right? So in me, my lesson has been to be a little less anxiety ridden and fearful because you only have this one life. You have to be a little bit more upfront and open. And I think I am being on this podcast, telling people things like that. Um, that has been huge for me. And also, as Tom said, I think, you know, if something is going to work, if something is real, it's going to be real in six months, a year, two years, three years, right? You you do not need to worry. This person didn't call me or, did, or, or didn't say, I mean, you guys will have, you have your own story, which I'm sure you'll talk about, but things, you know, the Hollywood romance of someone, two people meeting and right away, they know exactly what the relationship is meant to be. If that does happen, I feel like six months later, it's done. You know, I mean, the most successful relationships are built on shared values. And how do you know that until you've spent time with a person, regardless of what capacity, as friend, as colleague, as lover, as whatever it is, the the only way that you know these things is by is by spending time together and getting to know each other, you know? So by the time Tom and I sort of acknowledge or were able to formally acknowledge our our feelings or to tell other people, my kids were already like, oh, I'm so happy. Thank God you, thank God you said something because we sort of figured this out. They shake us up, guys. They shake us up. Finally. But but that's better. That's that's a much better result than you bringing home someone after 24 hours and being like, here my kids. And like, who the hell is this? Right. Right? I mean, and and so I think I think that that for us was was very important. It's a beautiful progression of how it happened. I agree. And you're going back to your question on on business. Uh, my lesson is just, and you know, we live in Miami, which is a complicated place, but reputation. The, the one word for business, the, the most important thing about business is ethics, is reputation, is, is doing it, is doing it right. You know, and sometimes you lose some, sometimes you win some. If you win all the time, you're, you don't have a good reputation and you're not doing it 100%. Right. Um, so I, I really, really, truly believe that. And I, I know that that's not sexy. That's not what sells. That's not what get clients or things like that. But I really, you know, we've been in business over 43 years now and it's because we do things the right way. I'm so glad you said that because I feel like it is such an unsexy. It, my, it's, it's so weird. I sell mobile I, homes in Alabama. I, I know all about it. I have a very wonderful life, but I know I know lots of people who sold condos in Miami and threw parties with circus acts on fire and drugs, and now right. they're in jail. Right, right. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I would rather have my steady, safe family business that allows me to do what I love, and, and we've had. A good reputation for a long time and then that's what's important. Well I'm gonna follow that with you know instead of let's bring sexy back let's bring stable bring, back let's bring stable integrity honor <laughs> like, you know like let, let's bring all the like the valuable let, let's like, bring stable character, back is a great character parody. back but since in Miami are the crypto capital of the world <laughs> I just started a company myself it's called STX it's, it's a general fund I promise you at least triple your investment in this crypto thing which I don't understand but I think I'll put the mic up 
I, like I, I think you got it. And Tom, what were your business? What, what, your, what were your takeaways, your business and personal takeaways and anything you want to fill in with being in a relationship as you are? Raise the mic. There's, you know, and, and raise the and mic. Raise the mic. <laughs> raise the mic. Anything that you want to tell the public, the audience. So I think for me, from a business perspective, it's very different. I don't work in a family business. I don't have my own skin in the business. That's why I smart. Um, but so I think the biggest difference is because we sometimes joke about corporate America, quote unquote, and, and big multi-billion dollar companies that I've worked for versus his family business. And, and the speed at which things get done at smaller businesses or family businesses or where people do have their own skin or if that's how you say Stake it. Stake in it. Stake in it. Right. Then I feel like things get done mostly skin. Faster or, or more Because there's no bureaucratic pull. I, I don't know what a meeting is. So Tom no, is, no. He doesn't know what a meeting is, he doesn't know what an HR department is. Which by the way Hold on, which by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Gary Vaynerchuk the credit for this, but I just saw a post a couple like a week ago mm. where he's like an hour meeting doesn't need to happen anymore. Mm -hmm. Like an hour meeting can be accomplished in, in like five to 10 minutes. Well, you know what the result of that is? Yes. We're all having 25, 45 minute meetings a day now. How many meetings but is a day? It is it useful? Well, before is we it? used to have maybe 15 one hour meetings. Ah, right? And okay. now it's just more meetings, shorter term. So I think the whole meeting concept is misunderstood. And I I could go more into this. Go into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want Lean, to. Everybody wants to lean I, in. I the, the um, ungrateful immigrant, but I feel like it's an American problem. I really do. Yeah. Um, and there's a huge difference between my experience. I actually know what you mean by that. In other countries where yeah. I've lived and worked, or even on ships, when I used to work at on ships, I was out at sea for nine months at a time. We used to get things done. I had probably zero or no, I can't say zero. Let's say maybe five meetings a week. And it was purely operational, 45 minutes to an hour. And you're running a ship. I mean, you and should have at least. ship with up to 8,000 people on board. And we ran it like it was a walk in the park because we got business done and we were out there doing the work. We were not stuck in offices behind a computer in front of a camera talking to other people all day. And then once you move in that same business, by the way, to the office environment, and now we're in meetings all day long, putting out fires all the time. Um, but I feel like a lot of these fires are probably not even worthy of a meeting. Um, it, it seems to be a corporate culture yeah. over here more than anywhere else. And that's my personal opinion. That's my experience. I, I do not need anything. Were there, it, you, it almost feels mechanical. Yes. Where you're checking the box, you're going through the motions, but what are we really meeting I, for? What are we, what are we trying to accomplish? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm also going to take a sort of controversial take because I heard this from a friend. So Tom is very low-key, but Tom is very good at what he does, and he's a logistics master, and he often gets pulled in by other, he'll get invited, not invited, he'll be told, yes, we have a finance meeting, and he's like, this is not my department, and like, we want your input. Mm -hmm. So my friend, who was a, a professor at FIU and moved to Drexel, he got tenure, and then he became, he said, basically, the joke is, the more successful you are, the less you do the thing that you're good at, and the more you're in higher level meetings. Does that make sense? Yes. So if you're a really good professor, you they promote you until you don't no longer teach and you're now in administrator meetings. If you're Tom and you're really good at logistics, that after 10 or 12 years, you are now in meetings all day with 
with execs about what we can do to improve things, but you're not maybe spending hours doing the deep work on logistics. Does that make you know sense? What that sounds like to me. What? Pay rent. <laughs> But it's it's I think it's is it called the Peter Principle? It's basically the joke that people keep getting promoted until they reach a position they're not good at. So everyone is basically at at a position <laughs> where they're like at the kind of position that they really can't handle, right? Isn't that exactly. my name's on the door? Catch a lot of wind. But can you say it in your language too? I, I will not. No, say it. I want to hear it. We all want to hear it. We all want to hear it. Hoga Bowman, if I wind, which means tall trees catch a lot of wind, and that just means that the higher up you get on, on that corporate ladder, the more, the more shit you get. Shit you get. The more shit you get. For things that you have no control over, that are absolutely not within your control, and you're going to be blamed for all of it. So I think you need to find the right level in these multi-billion corporations that continue to pay well, make you happy, and where you can find some sort of balance. And that's hard, because once you go higher than that, yes, we'll get a car, and yes, we'll get a senior vice president title, but you're going to get a lot of shit that comes with that, and that's not always fair. And I have not, to be honest with you, in, in the past 15, it's almost 17 years now, actually, I've seen most of these tall trees, they've all been chopped. They all, they only last so long, and then you gotta move on. And so I think for me personally, my lesson was I, I kind of found something I'm good at, something I enjoy with people I like, and I, I try and enjoy it as much as I can. And, and I, I, I don't know where I wanna go with this, but I think that's really a lesson learned for me. Like, be careful before you commit to, to promotions. Promotions sound really cool until they're not. And I've seen a lot of people burn themselves with those. No, but I really appreciate the candor because mm -hmm. most people would try to dress that up and I appreciate the fact that you are still in it it's not like you are one person that you know got tired of it and left and now you're speaking about it you're still in I'm it, still in it right? you're still I like in it. it and I appreciate what right. about it you're, you're in it you are appreciative of it you understand the ins and outs of it you make no excuses you're unapologetic about the truth of it but you're still in it you're appreciative of it. You are a consummate professional, and you shine like a rock star at what it is that you do. You're a badass. You're always going to be a badass in my eyes. And and, 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 and we've also all heard Tom secretly at parties or events take a work call oh, and yeah. quietly. Oh, yes, I have. Quietly, I have heard quietly, that work call. I got it. It is but it's not been quiet in the one that I heard. No, no. But but, but the best is the best is. Uh, you know, Tom has been so. You said you've been in meetings where like staplers are thrown and people have yelled. And he he's told me once, I I really don't want to do that. I don't believe in yelling. I, I, let me just. Speak with you. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, have been, I think I've had managers who manage by fear and, and putting the fear of, of God in people, and I don't want to be that person. I remember how much I resented them, and so I try and be everything that's not that person. Right. And there's one person in particular that he was on my first leaders, and he was terrible, bless him. He also has passed away since then, so I hope he rests in peace. Oh, God. Um, but so I, I really feel strongly about that, and so I do not ever raise my voice. I'm always very calm and quiet. And but it's more terrifying. People think I'm a sniper and, and a hero. <laughs> really, I, 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 and that sounds really terrible, but I think I've earned people's respect by not yelling at them. Yeah. And I once told a person, she disappointed me and she bawled her eyes out <laughs> because that was the worst thing Tom could ever say to her. And I think I'm actually proud of that because I think if that's what you, right. you that's the impact you have on people, yeah. and I think your leadership skills are probably in a good place. Right. And I'd rather be that person than the guy that screams and yells and F bombs everybody. I've never done that at work. I've 100%. done it at your house, not at work, ever. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you and I are nursing in that respect. I know, I know, I now feel good about my leadership skills after speaking with you. Why well, is this a successful episode number one, don't you? This was awesome. I don't know if you can hear yourself because you're not on the I'm microphone. Right I'm right. it, it, it picks up because look on the on the thing. Just so the audience. Uh, we all can hear. I'm using a voice just, reader on the computer. Just so everybody knows, this has been a shit show of a, of a time. All right, these actually are delicious for cherry goes on. I think we're wrapping up because it is now time for ice cream sandwiches. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Episode 1. It's been a pleasure. We hope you tune in for some more. That's a wrap for this week's episode. Don't miss next week's episode for more relatable, real, and practical insights from Relationship, packed with even more candid conversations. So make sure to subscribe, tune in, and keep your wine glass full. And if you want to share your own experience or ask a question, follow us on social media and feel free to reach out. Go to CernitzLaw.com, call 888-68-DAMAGE, or email us at cshanbraun at CernitzLaw.com or jcernitz at CernitzLaw.com. <laughs>